Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. Hey, girl. Hey. Hey, Nadri. What's up? You know, just here doing a podcast. Before we start today's episode, we wanted to tell you a few things. First, we're going to mention a strongly worded news article headline of the day that discusses a violent act resulting in death. I wanted to let you know in case you decided you'd rather skip that part from timestamp 1915. Fast forward 30 seconds and it should be okay. All right, then on a happier note, we wanted to say thank you so, so much for all the support you have given us in the past episodes. It means so much to us. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, Y'all have been so amazing and we have received so much love and awesomeness that we actually decided to end our season with a wrap up episode where we're going to discuss our thoughts throughout the season and more. So do you have a question about the ladies that we've talked about? Do you have questions for us? Want to know what plans we have for future episodes? What do you want to (laughs) know? Yeah, what Jessica said. Please keep sending us your questions and comments to our email, shebuildspodcasts at gmail.com, and you might hear them at the end of the season. So stay tuned. Let's start the music. Hi. Welcome to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. Today, we're going to talk about Elizabeth Bragg Cumming, who, depending on who you ask, was the first woman to receive a degree in engineering from an American university. I'm Norgeri Rivas, staying home, podcasting safe in Houston, Texas. Hi, I'm Jessica Rogers, sheltering place out of Washington, D.C. Hi, I'm Lizzie Rar on week seven of quarantine in San Francisco. Yay! Now that you know us, quick disclaimer. The three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. Yeah. So if we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us and leave us a comment and we will all continue learning. All right. 
I'm so happy we're here recording this episode today because I almost decided not to do it. Really? Why not? There's just not a lot of information about Elizabeth on the internet. Almost everything about her fits in one paragraph. And that's why I decided to make this episode because I don't want Elizabeth's story to just be that she was the first woman to graduate with an engineering degree. That's fair. All right. So how about you tell us where she's from? Okay. Let's get to know Elizabeth Bragg. Get acquainted. Become friends. (laughs) (laughs) The place was San Francisco, California. The time was 1854 or 1858. Wait, what? That's a big gap. Well, according to some sources, it was 1854 and others say 1858. Hmm. But actually her grave says 1858. So I guess we should go with that. Okay, I'm going to start over. The time was 1858. (laughs) Her parents were Robert and Mary Philbrook Brack. And Elizabeth was the middle child of 10 children. Whoa, 10 kids? Well, the TV wasn't invented until 1927. So what else were their parents supposed to do for fun, I guess? (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Good point. So Elizabeth's family was wealthy. Her dad was a San Francisco shipbuilder and her family was listed in the city's blue book of elites. What's that? It's a book with the names and addresses of the who's who of San Francisco. Oh, okay. I spent a little bit of time looking through it to see if I would find more information on Elizabeth. Like I thought it was maybe like a gossip column or something. (laughs) But no, it was really just addresses. Which is kind of strange. Like, why would they want people to know where they live? Sounds dangerous. Yeah. Well, times were different back then. This was also around the era of phone books. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, we're not too young to remember address and phone books. That was a super common thing for a long time where people's addresses were just available. But I think nowadays with the Internet, the safety thing is kind of that's a newer idea. That's Mm -hmm. true. I didn't think about that. Okay. Well, today, the Blue Book as an address book does not exist. If you look for the San Francisco Blue Book, you'll find the web page for the regulations for working in San Francisco streets. Is that like guidelines for street work? Yeah, like utilities, pavements, parking lots, bike lanes, traffic codes. I mean, it's a manual. It's kind of boring. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> That sounds so interesting, so fascinating, riveting. Well, it's a manual, okay? It's not a comic. It's not a comic book, okay? Yeah, I mean, we can't ask much entertainment from Emmanuel. I mean, yeah. well, actually, I like looking at the IBC, but <laughs> what? Okay, like for fun, don't you? No, no, it's a, it's a book of codes, like. <laughs> it's a necessity. It's not. I like a, only go if I have to verify something. Right. I might like find something fun while looking for something that I need, but <laughs> okay. Well, I do. I do me. Do do you? Fair enough. To like, each their own. Enough. Yeah, to each their own. Whatever floats your boat. Well, anyway, looking through the blue book, the original one, her family lived in Castro Street, which I bet back then was not the big LGBTQ community it is today. Yeah, probably not. I think that developed more in the 1960s, 70s. Up until then, it was more of a working class neighborhood. Hmm. Okay, check this out. 
Elizabeth was extremely good at math. Because she was so advanced, she was bored in school. So her father supported her to go to the prep high school that was attached to Berkeley University. And once she finished high school, she went straight into civil engineering. Does this remind you of every single lady we've talked about? (laughs) Yeah. Milka, she skipped a grade. Norma excelled in math and science. Yeah. Julia really loved school, too. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. I mean, I like school, but this was like another level. Yeah. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. Okay. Something I found super interesting about Elizabeth was that she and her sisters earned college degrees in teaching, science, or engineering. It sounds like Elizabeth's family was progressive and encouraged their daughters to get college degrees. And on science subjects, Mm. I mean, even to this day, STEM fields are mostly men. So I wonder if at that time it was a bit scandalous that these ladies dared to get degrees in science and engineering. Yeah, that's true. Architecture is a very male-dominated profession. But when you compare it to engineering and construction, the numbers are even lower for women. Yeah. And then in science, they're really, really low as well. Right. So Elizabeth graduated in 1876 from the College of Civil Engineering at UC Berkeley, 12 years before Julia Morgan. Remember Julia Morgan? Of course. From our previous episode. So it was Elizabeth who paved the way for Julia? Yes, she did. Check out the show notes for a presentation from the Berkeley website about the beginning of the College of Civil Engineering. It was established in 1872. The first graduate was in 1873. And three years after him, Elizabeth received her degree, which I thought was pretty quick. They accepted women faster than I would have thought. Yeah, that's really cool that they allowed women into the program so soon after it started, especially if you compare it to like the Ecole des Beaux-Arts that we talked about last week. And that took almost 250 years to accept women. But I guess that probably has something to do with the fact that UC Berkeley as a whole was only founded in 1868. And it was kind of the times were changing, right? It was around the same time that the Ecole started to accept women. So I see. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense that everything kind of like followed along those lines. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, I think compared to Europe, maybe the U.S. was a little bit more progressive, but maybe it was also just Berkeley that was onto something. Who knows? Well, back to Elizabeth. Judging from Julia's experience about studying at Berkeley, I bet Elizabeth went through the same issues or worse. Yeah. Like, like just physically going to school. Like, remember the time that Julia had to be escorted to class by her brother? You mean all the time? Yes, that's right. All the time. Not just that one time. Yeah, it was considered socially unacceptable for her to be out in public alone. So her brother had to go everywhere on campus with her. And the men in her class weren't that friendly either. Yeah, the men in Elizabeth's class weren't friendly either. I mean, seriously, I'm so thankful we didn't experience anything like that when we went to college. We just can't take the struggles of these women for granted. No way. According to Elizabeth, her college professors gave no special considerations to women. They treated them as interlopers, but the girls were like, whatever, man, watch me do me. And they went about their business and did their work. Let me read you a quote from Elizabeth. My work was unusual and possibly I had less friction than some of the other co-wets. And I was sort of a boy among boys. And so I managed to get along pretty comfortably. 
Is she British? Were you going to say? Is she British? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. <laughs> I bet you that in the 1800s, they had that little accent. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, she was from a wealthy family. <laughs> Do you want me to read it normally? No, no, no. Keep it because it's hilarious. <laughs> no, I just like I noticed that you started going British. <laughs> she goes in and out. Besides this accent, what does that quote even mean, Nordry? Was she like a tomboy? I'm not really sure. I I think that in her own way, she got used to the situation and learned to just make herself a part of the group, or at least she felt like she did. She also said that people looked at women in college all weird and that they thought it was out of place for women to want to be there. But Elizabeth didn't care. She looked back on those days and I quote, with genuine pleasure. <laughs> when I read that, I imagined her in a music video. I need some music just because give me some. She's in a music video walking around college, watching them haters and being like, get that dirt off your shoulders. Yeah. Thank you, Jessica. Uh, sorry, I got really lost in the music. But yeah, like go on and brush your shoulders off. It didn't phase Elizabeth. She kept it moving. The professor might not have paid her no mind, but she was just going to do her own thing and get her own. That's right. Her senior thesis was called A Solution to a Peculiar Problem of Surveying. Isn't that a delightful name? Very charming. It actually sounds kind of boring to me. But then again, I mean, come on, it sounds boring. No, No, it's a cute name. It's cute. Sure. But it sounds like it came out of Mary Poppins or something. What you got against Mary? I don't like Mary Poppins, what? actually. Guys, what do you mean? It's, it's, it's not like to each their own. Yeah, to each their Fair own. Fair enough. Fine. Okay. I thought it sounded like something out of The Sound of Music. Yeah. Okay, you like The Sound of Music, but not Mary Poppins? I love The Sound of Music. Okay, yeah. I love Julie Andrews. Okay, let's just keep it. Like, I like her. So then why do you hate Mary? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I just, I probably fell asleep and that's why I didn't like it. All right, fine. Okay. <laughs> All right, but what was the peculiar problem and what was the solution? I wish I could tell you. From my research, I could tell you what ship her ancestors arrived into the United States of America in, that she was a daughter of the American Revolution. I can tell you where Elizabeth is buried and her parents and her husband and her children. And I could not find her thesis paper from Berkeley. I even called the university. I left a message, emailed them, and now we're still waiting. Maybe there will be a future episode and we'll have an update. Berkeley gets back to Norgiti episode. (laughs) (laughs) If we get our hands on this. I mean, it's a quarantine. So maybe we'll cut them some slack, right? Okay. Fine. I will update you guys if they return my call. (laughs) I I should call again. I didn't insist as much as I should. (laughs) It's not all on them. Okay, please call me Berkeley. <laughs> Najee, I do have a question because at the beginning of your story, you you said that people argued if she was the first woman to receive a degree in engineering. Oh, yeah. Thank you for reminding me. Well, apparently in 1892, a lady named Elmina Wilson, future episode alert, <laughs> was the first woman to receive a civil engineering degree from a four year program at Iowa State University which means Elizabeth's program was less than four years. But I mean, Elizabeth was 18 years old when she became a civil engineer and she did it in less than four years. If you ask me, 
Elizabeth was a genius. <laughs> she was like an engineering prodigy, more like it. <laughs> yeah. Elizabeth graduated in 1876 with a solution of a peculiar problem of serving. And a few years later, Elizabeth was a part of the American Association of University Women, which I didn't know about until I started this research. Have you guys heard from them? Not a clue. No. Is that still a thing today? Yeah. Well, I found early periodicals that mentioned that Elizabeth was a member. So I looked into the association. It was begun in 1881 by Maria Talbot and a group of women college graduates that got together to help and empower each other in their career advancement and to pursue higher education. And the association continues to do that to this day. They offer a few different fellowships and grants to women. Actually, good story. In 1920, the AAUW found a little scientist they wanted to support none other than Madame Marie Curie. Members helped raise $100,000 to purchase a gram of radium for Curie to use in her research. No big deal. (laughs) $100,000 for a gram. (laughs) Casual. (laughs) Wow, that's really cool, though. I had no idea this was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Elizabeth graduated with a PhD in civil engineering. Her hard work won over her professors and they wanted her to continue into graduate studies at the university so that they could recommend her to work as a drafter for the United States Coast Service. But Elizabeth decided to become a teacher instead. Hmm. Seems admirable. So even though the Internet makes it seem like Elizabeth didn't do much, she really did accomplish a lot by graduating engineering school. It might sound like nothing today, but back then she was super brave and amazing. And then she joined this group of pioneering women at the American Association of University Women. Like that's a lot. Yeah. So if you learn one thing about Elizabeth today, learn that she was a boss. Yeah. Applauses for Elizabeth. Clap, clap. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you guys can tell, but I'm really impressed with Elizabeth. Me too. I am. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like she was part of that early group of pioneering women. So did you find anything else about what she did after graduating or just teaching? Well, yeah. So she was a teacher until she got married and she stopped teaching after that. Elizabeth lived with her Bragg family until her marriage, which I'm guessing is exactly what every other women did at the time. Right. And then she married George Cumming a civil engineer with the Southern Pacific Railroad Company. No records show that she practiced engineering, but I mean, her husband was a civil engineer. So I wonder if she would sometimes sneak in her thoughts on whatever he was working on. Yeah, maybe. That reminds me of another female engineer, Emily Roebling. She became well known by having to pick up the work of her husband and father-in-law when they got sick. And we'll learn more Mm. about her at some point in a future episode. (laughs) (laughs) George was a character, actually. Let's go back to George. Okay. Okay. I I found more information about him than I did about Elizabeth, which really annoyed me. (laughs) (laughs) Funny man. Yeah. He seemed a bit eccentric and like a frustrated artist. Ooh, what kind of artist? A sculptor and a painter. That's cool. So was sculpting and painting a side thing for him? Because you said he's a civil engineer, right? Right. Yeah. He was a highly respected and looked up to civil engineer at the railroad company. But 
his true passion was art. When I was looking at news clippings of his life, I found that he enjoyed living alone, which kind of fits the profile of an artist, I guess. Wait, so did he and Elizabeth not live together or did they get divorced? This reminds me of like Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera. Because they were both like, they're both artists that have eccentric personalities. They were both married at one point and divorced and then married again. And they actually lived in two separate houses that was connected by like a walking bridge. So I'm imagining something like that. Oh, interesting. Maybe. I don't know if it was such a movie, but <laughs> I, I did find out that they were not living together. I'm not sure when he moved out, but he did at some point because he was living in a hotel. Actually, Mm. in a sad, grim turn of events, I was minding my own business, trying to learn about Elizabeth. And I found a news article titled SP engineer for 35 years kills himself. What? George M. Cumming found dead in room at Langstrom Hotel with his throat cut. What? That was the title of the article? Yeah. Not only is it super long, but how is that the title of a news article? Like, what if some family member didn't know and that's how they found out? I bet that's how everyone found out. There was no internet. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's the 90s. But what about the little kids? It's the 1900s. Like, anything goes. (laughs) anything goes yeah (laughs) there's no censorship uh okay well the article mentioned he had been living in the hotel for months so that's how i know that they weren't living together i see but i mean poor elizabeth having to live with that tragedy yeah that's rough poor her and poor kids yeah elizabeth becomes a widow in 1916 And then she passes away in 1929 at 71 years of age. May she rest in peace. Wow. What a way to end her story. Yep. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's time to talk about her notable works. Since there's no record that she practiced, we'll mention another type of notable work. First, but not least, George Bragg Cumming. David Bragg Cumming. Alan Bragg Cumming. And Robert Brack coming. That's right. She had four boys. No girls for her. Four boys is so many. That sounds like she had her work cut out for her. Listen, you grew up with two brothers, right? Yes. And they were a handful. So I cannot imagine four. Yeah, it seems like she had a lot to handle. And with that, it's time for our carry tid. Lizzie, would you do the honor of introducing this section of our podcast, please? Sure. A karyatid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. In each episode, we present a karyatid, a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through their work, and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. Thank you, Lizzie. Drum roll, please. <laughs> Eleanor K. Bomb. <laughs> Eleanor K. Baum was the first woman to become the dean of an engineering school in the United States. Whoa. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. In 1984, Eleanor was named dean of Pratt Institute's School of Engineering in New York. Three years after that, 
She became dean of the Albert Nurkin School of Engineering at Cooper Union. And now she's dean emeritus. That's so amazing. Like for you listeners that uh, aren't aware, both of those schools are very impressive. Um, Cooper Mm -hmm. Union and Pratt. I actually I never knew that Pratt had an engineering department. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. Yeah. Well, that's well, it does. Yeah. Then she was the dean. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. She is also the first woman president of the American Society of Engineering Education, ASEE. And in 1990, the Society of Women Engineers awarded her the Upward Mobility Award, which recognizes a woman with at least 20 years of experience who is a manager, leader and influence in her field and has created a nurturing environment for other women in the workplace. Isn't that super cool? Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, it's time to say goodbye. We want to thank CMYK for the music, John W., our technical producer, and most of all, you, the listeners. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed learning about Elizabeth and Eleanor along with our banter and that you're inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, thank you. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast or on Twitter at shebuildspod. Until then, bye. Nordry. Did you mean PhD? Nope. It said PhB. What's that? It stands for Bachelor of Philosophy. For that degree, you have to do a lot of research, a thesis or supervised research project. Even though it's called Bachelor of Philosophy, in a lot of universities today, it's a postgraduate degree. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. 
And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.